some people love Shakespeare, others not so much. But a Shakespeare adaptation is always a good time. Constellation Theatre at 14th and T is featuring a musical called Desperate Measures. It's based off of Shakespeare's play Measure for Measure, but it's set in the Wild West. A gunslinging nun teams up with a sheriff and a saloon dancer to save her brother. Buy tickets now at constellationtheater.org. The show runs through March 17th. Once again, that's constellationtheater.org. Here's what DC's talking about. Today is International Women's Day, and DC is full of stories of women's empowerment and impact that might not always get the recognition that they deserve. Caitlin Calogera organizes tours of DC women's history to change that, and she's here today with some tips on how we can all embark on that journey. Today is Wednesday, March 8th. I'm Bridget Todd, and this is CityCast DC. Calogera, you are the founder of a tour of her own, and basically you're the expert on D.C. women's history. Let's break down like a starter pack of sites for folks who are interested in learning more about the diversity and the scope of the ways that women have shaped the fabric of D.C. Where would you start? I think a great place to start is Pennsylvania Avenue. This is known as America's Main Street. And, you know, if you're coming to D.C. or you live here or you work here, you're going to end up on Pennsylvania Avenue one way or another. It, you know, borders the White House and the Capitol building, and it's just a really iconic street. A couple of reasons why I bring up Pennsylvania Avenue is because, from a women's history perspective, the suffragists were the first to ever march in protest down Pennsylvania Avenue. That was in 1913. So every time we see a march on Washington, it really has to do with, you know, women starting that, getting the right to vote. And then beyond that, what I love about Pennsylvania Avenue is what a lot of locals would call the old post office. It's that big tower, you know, right there on 12th in Pennsylvania. But uh, I have a different name for it. (laughs) And over the last couple of years, it's changed names a few times. But what a lot of people don't realize is that it's called the Nancy Hanks Center. It is named for a woman, and she was the first woman to lead the National Endowment of the Arts. And in the 1980s, Congress named the old post office tower for Nancy Hanks because she was really influential in preserving the building. It almost got demolished. It was going to be basically decimated to the ground. And Nancy Hanks is someone who really championed the arts. She felt like buildings told stories of cities and that we should really keep it up there as a symbol of Washington, D.C. So as a local, I'm trying to uh, campaign here to get everybody to call it the Nancy Hank Center. Oh, People out there listening, it's no longer the old post office. It is the Nancy Hanks Center. I love that. <laughs> Reclaiming the title. Yeah, we're taking it back. And it's so interesting to think, like, how often, like, I am big into protests in D.C. and I have been for a while. Every time that I'm with a group that marches down Pennsylvania Avenue, the first people to do that were women. Yeah, yeah, it's really exceptional and worth talking about. Okay, so speaking of monuments and things in D.C. that everybody sees, everybody's familiar with, but maybe we don't know about the ways that women have shaped them, what about the cherry blossoms? 
Oh, I mean, the cherry blossoms are so iconic to DC and it's easy to go there and take your selfies and take your pictures and kind of get lost in the moment. But it's so important to note that the reason we have cherry blossoms are particularly due to two American women. One is First Lady Helen Taft and the other one is a woman named Eliza Skidmore. The two of them collaborated to bring the cherry blossoms from Japan over here. And if you've ever been to the Tidal Basin, you know that it's just like a such a remarkable uh, sight. Bridget, have you seen them at the Tidal Basin? Oh, of course. I go every every bloom. And it's one of the only things that like my friends and family from out of town make a specific point from wherever they are to come check them out. Yeah, I really love people watching down there uh, to see everybody go crazy over them. But yeah, it's, it's really awesome. Um, Eliza Skidmore was a member of the National Geographic. And so she was like a world traveler and she was a, a journalist. And when she returned back from Japan, she came with this idea and really, you know, brought this beautiful phenomenon to DC. And the sad part of this is that it's a real shame there's no plaque commemorating these two women. Helen Taft sort of worked from the inside as first lady to bring these to the Tidal Basin, and you just wish that their names were somewhere, somewhere on the Tidal Basin to remember their efforts. But unfortunately, they're a little bit lost to history, like women's stories often are. So my second campaign <laughs> is also to, you know, recognize these women during the spring when those flowers are blooming and just remind everybody that Women are behind those beautiful flowers you're taking pictures of. Yeah, something I love about your work is the intention behind building these monuments to women's voices and contributions, because if we're not the ones building monuments to women's contributions, they will get lost. And so it's sort of up to us to have these campaigns to be like, oh, well, did you know? And, you know, they should there should be a plaque out there commemorating that because that's part of the history. Yeah, absolutely. And I really try to emphasize this, like, as much as this is my work and my career and my passion, it really belongs to everybody. And I'd say there's even like a little bit of an obligation or responsibility for us to all kind of come together and highlight women's stories, because this is all of our history, you know, and the more people that are involved and interested in it, the more that we can take it from the margins and into the mainstream. The brand new Arbor at Tacoma is built for your most convenient urban living. Whether you want to enjoy the vibrant Tacoma DC community or comfortably retreat into a sleek sanctuary all your own. The kitchens have striking dark navy and white cabinets and throughout the home, there are wood floors and smart home technology. Some homes even have a private outdoor space. With a quick walk to the Metro, you can easily head into downtown or stay close and enjoy the retail that's on site. Located at 218 Cedar Street Northwest, the Arbor Tacoma offers brand new one and two bedroom condos starting in the upper 300,000s. Visit thearborattacoma.com for more information. That's Tacoma with a K. So T-H-E-A-R-B-O-R-A-T-T-A-K-O-M-A.com. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama is back along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu.
you know, talking about the cherry blossoms, it's one of my favorite like outdoor things to do. But another great outdoor spot to check out that sadly I have actually not been to, Olivia Tanner Park. What's it like? This is such a great location from a community perspective and also a historical perspective. I'm gonna kind of give you like a full story here because from start to end, it's really remarkable. Alethea Tanner Park is in the Noma neighborhood, just along the MBT, the Metropolitan Branch Trail. So you can get to it by bike, scooter, walking. There is parking nearby. It's really accessible uh, in that sense. And when Noma created this park, they put a poll out to the residents of Eckington and asked them, who do you want this park named after? And the residents voted and they decided that Alethea Tanner was a woman worth honoring. And one of the people that's telling her story is her descendant, a woman named Susan Cook. So when we talk about women's history, it's like super common that the daughters, granddaughters, nieces, descendants are the ones keeping their, you know, legacies alive. And so to give you a little bit of background about Alethea Tanner, she was an African-American woman born into enslavement in Prince George's County. And she was spending quite a bit of time in Lafayette Park, just outside the White House, selling fruits and vegetables. And eventually she earned enough money to buy her own freedom. After she bought her own freedom, she uh, continued to earn money and bought the freedom of 19 of her family members. Beyond that, she started schools for young black children across the city, and her nickname is the godmother of the AME Church. She founded churches all across Washington, D.C. as well. And one of the things I love about her story that I learned from Susan Cook, who told me this, was, you know, when we think of uh, presidents like Thomas Jefferson or some of our founding fathers, uh, they had a peak in their life. But like Thomas Jefferson went into debt. He was not in a good place by the end of his life. And Alethea Tanner was truly someone that worked in the opposite. She uh, was born into enslavement and then ended her life truly on the highest note, taking care of her community and leaving her mark on the city. So we absolutely love Alethea Tanner. And I do encourage everyone to go to that park and enjoy it. Yeah, what you said about Susan Cook really championing Aletha Tanner, it reminds me so much of just the work that you're doing, championing other women and making sure that they that their stories don't get lost and that they're remembered and how important that is. Yeah, Bridget, I think, you know, as a tour guide and a podcast host or in Washington, D.C., if you're an actor, a musician, there are so many people that have voices, and I think it's important for us to use our platforms responsibly. It's easy to get lost, I think, in today's time, just being on our phones and being such a fast-paced city, but, you know, mindfulness and intention are really front and center in my work, so I think anyone that has a platform should really use it to make our city and our community better, because I absolutely love Washington, D.C., and I'm so grateful to live and work here, and I just, like, truly just want to give back and know all of the things about the city. Okay, so we've got Pennsylvania Avenue, the Cherry Blossoms, Alethea Tanner Park. What else have you got? All right, so in the theme of outdoor spaces and parks, I want to introduce everybody to Hillwood Estate Museum and Gardens. This is such a treasure. It's one of my hidden spots that, truthfully, I don't always tell tourists about because I feel like local Washingtonians should kind of have this as their own space. We're pro-gatekeeping um, a little bit here. 
With intention. Also, it's like, yeah, exactly. I like that. Pro gatekeeping. Yeah. It's totally, like, personal, too, because I want to go hang out there, and it's just, like, I want that to be my quiet time and just not have, like, little kids running around and just, like, you know, massive tourists with music or things like that. It's my peaceful space. Uh, so, but I do invite everybody to go. It's really worth it. So, um, from a women's history perspective, uh, Hillwood Estate is the home of Marjorie Merriweather Post. She was the CEO of Post Serial. So, if you're from DC, you might recognize her name from uh, Merriweather Post Pavilion, where they host um, concerts and all that. I've actually never been. Bridget, have you been out there? I have. I've seen many a concert out there. It's out in like Columbia, Maryland. So it's definitely like a Uber ride. But yeah, it's, it's quite nice. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But I think it speaks to the kind of like wealth and power that Marjorie Merriweather Post had. I mean, so her range is all the way out to Maryland here in D.C. In fact, the other house that she built is a home in Florida that we all know as Mar-a-Lago. And Are I love you that little kidding? collection. <laughs> what? Okay, this was not the connection I was expecting you to make in this interview. <laughs> <laughs> it's such, it's just such that fact that's like an awesome connection that when you figure it out, you're like, oh, wow, wow, <laughs> you know? So yeah, Mar-a-Lago was built by Marjorie Merriweather, Merriweather Post. She uh, really was invested in real estate and she built this property specifically to be a museum. She's like, okay, I'm going to be done with this one day and I'm going to turn it into a place where everybody can come see my riches and my art and all my, you know, cultured, worldly belongings. And when you go in there, you really, it's kind of like you're going back in time, but it's also very current and modern. And there's an indoor inside the mansion, which feels very kind of bougie and hands-offy and like, proper, but then on the outside, there's these wonderful gardens, and you can bring food, you can bring drinks, you can set up a picnic. It's very approachable and accessible, and there's a ton of open green space because it's in Rock Creek Park, which is another DC gem that everybody should know about. Wow. I So I, I've never been there, but I really want to go. Blow up your spot and like, go. But can you imagine <laughs> the kind of parties that Marjorie was throwing at this place? Okay, yes, I know. This is one of the things I write about in my book, 111 Places in Women's History, is how Marjorie Merriweather Post threw the best parties in town. But also, she lived a sober life. She didn't drink. She was, like, divorced several times. She also o opened the house to Vietnam veterans who were recovering. So there were, like, crazy parties, but also veterans also, like, no alcohol. It was just a bizarre place to be. And somehow tons of accounts of it being just a wild place to go and party. Oh, my God. I cannot wait to check this out. It sounds incredible. So what else do we have? You know, is there, is there maybe a spot that is, like, right in the city that folks might pass by every single day and not know the women's history that's unfolded there? Yeah, definitely. I'd say that's probably true for most places in the city. But I tend to think about uh, the DuPont Circle neighborhood as being a really, you know, notable part of the city, one that's the oldest part of the city as well. And there's one particular place there that I absolutely love talking about, and it's the Mansion and Museum on O Street. Have you heard of that before? 
I have. I feel like I pass by it all the time, and I never think much of it. If you're walking past it, it's a little bit more visible. But if you're driving, you would totally go right by it and not recognize. It's in sort of an older DuPont townhouse that looks like the rest that are on the block. It really blends in. But it's multiple units. There's like on both sides of the street, it makes up a hotel and a museum. So it has multiple purposes. And the whole organization is run by a woman named H.H. Leonard. She is such an advocate for civil rights, the arts, really quirky things, human rights and civil rights just across the board. And so H.H. Leonard, one day, years ago in the 90s, receives a phone call. And it's from a friend who says, I need your help. I have somebody who needs some shelter. Can you bring this person in for a couple of days, maybe a couple of weeks? No questions asked. H.H. Leonard says, sure, bring her to Washington, D.C. We'll put her up in the hotel and we'll take care of her. Well, that person happened to be Rosa Parks. No way. (laughs) Yeah, Rosa Parks. And this is like truly a sad story in itself that most people don't know. But after Rosa Parks, you know, refused to give up her seat, during the Montgomery bus boycott and became a name, she wasn't really taken care of much after that. And so when she was in her 80s, she was living in Detroit and she was living in a not so good area there and her house got broken into and she experienced a lot of violence. She was beaten up, she experienced theft and it was an extremely traumatic experience, which One should never have happened to Rosa Parks because she's such an icon. But unfortunately, you know, just like women's stories do, the people also are in the limelight and uh, sometimes don't get the care and protection that they need after. So she comes to Washington, D.C. and ends up staying here for 10 years at the O Street Mansion. Her and H.H. Leonard become best friends. And one day, Rosa Parks and H.H. Leonard are hosting a birthday party for Rosa Parks. And a bunch of Rosa Parks' friends come to have brunch. They enter the museum. You know, there's some music playing and everything like that. And sure enough, the neighbors call the cops and report this as being a negative, bad event that's rowdy and out of control. And without a doubt, this is just like a racist call that's being made. Um, And so H.H. Leonard is apologizing profusely to Rosa Parks about what happened. She feels responsible. She's apologizing on behalf of the neighbors. And Rosa Parks says to her, it's something along the lines of, oh, my dear, don't worry. You know, the way you deal with racists is you buy their house. So years later, Rosa Parks passes away. H.H. Leonard is a pallbearer at her funeral. And then a few years later, that house was up on the market. So H.H. Leonard bought it and renamed it the Rosa Parks Safe House. And it is now part of the O Street Mansion and Museum. What an ending to that story. Like to have the, first of all, just to have the means to make that 
a reality of like, okay, well, one day I'm going to own this house. And guess what? It's going to be a safe house where all kinds of Black folks and civil rights icons live. So what are you going to do about it? I mean, it keeps coming up in this interview, this idea of women championing other women, supporting other women. It's a travesty that Rosa Parks was living, you know, unsupported as she was. But that part of that support is making sure that these legacies endure. Yeah, absolutely. I think you couldn't have said it any better. Women supporting women. Also, you know, having allies in the community, male allies that are supporting the women's movement, you know, always at the intersection. And I would say in most, you know, women's history stories, it is often a story of collaboration and community. Women work together. It makes me think of a quote by another Washington, D.C. woman named Mary Church Terrell. Her quote is, lifting as we climb. You know, women aren't doing this solo by ourselves. You don't see statues of women solo on a horse in D.C. We're often working together and memorialized in a group. And I think that that's really beautiful and there's lessons to be learned from that. Oh my God, that's one of my favorite mottos. I try to abide by, lift as you climb. I love it. Um, Where can folks learn more about all the work that you're doing bringing these stories to the limelight? You can learn more in two particular places. One, through a tour of her own, which offers all kinds of historical tours. We offer walking tours, virtual tours, bus tours, and we can customize them or you can come on a public tour if you'd like. The second place that I encourage folks to look into would be our book that I co-authored with my colleague, Rebecca Grawl. It's called 111 Places in Women's History That You Must Not Miss in Washington, D.C. So we only gave you like five stories today. This is truly over 100. And still some are missing from there as well because we just couldn't fit them all into this one book. But I encourage you to go, you know, shop for that locally at a local bookshop, support small businesses in D.C. And, you know, we're on social media, primarily Instagram, and we have a website. So go on the website, sign up for our email list, and we'll see you on tour soon. Caitlin Calogera, founder of A Tour of Her Own. I cannot wait to take this tour. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Bridget, for having me. And before you go, some quick news. Mayor Muriel Bowser has expanded her multi-agency nightlife task force to include Adams Morgan in an effort to drive down crime. She'll be hosting a public safety walk along Georgia Avenue today. The task force currently covers U Street, H Street Corridor, and DuPont Circle on Friday and Saturday nights. If you want a refresher, check out our episode on how it works. It's in the show notes. Meanwhile, Montgomery County Executive Mark Elrich says he will veto a rent stabilization bill that has the majority of the council's support and sets the annual max rent increase at 8% plus inflation. Elrich says this is too high. Instead, he's supporting a competing bill that sets the max at 3%. And lastly, good news for D.C. parents with young kids. You no longer have to fold up your child's stroller when boarding a metro bus. The transit agency estimates that 18,000 trips every day involve parents with young children. It recommends parents use stroller locks and sit in the priority seating area. And today's life hack is... Another cherry blossom secret spot. Caitlin had a suggestion of her own, Haynes Point. And for more spring fun, Caitlin suggested also checking out the tulips at Lady Bird Johnson Park or in front of the Netherlands Carillon in Arlington.
that's all for today here on CityCast DC. And if you enjoyed today's show, why not tell a DC woman who inspires you? We'll be back tomorrow morning with even more news from around the city. Talk to you then.